0: Um, What's the millennial question? Apparently, millennials, as a generation, which is a group of people who were born approximately uh, 1984 and after, um, uh, are tough to manage. And they're accused of being entitled and narcissistic and self-interested, unfocused, lazy. (laughs) But entitled is the big one. And, uh, And because they confound leadership so much... What's happening is leaders are asking the millennials, what do you want? And millennials are saying, we want to work in a place with purpose. Love that. Um, we want to make an impact, you know, whatever that means. Um, uh, we want free food and bean beanbags. <laughs> uh, and so somebody articulates some sort of purpose. There's lots of free food and there's beanbags. And yet, for some reason, they are still not happy. And that's because... Um, they 're there 's a missing piece um, what i 've learned is that there, I can break it down into four pieces right there are four four things four characteristics: one is parenting, the other one is uh, technology, the third is impatience, and the fourth is environment. The generation that we call the millennials, too many of them grew up um, subject to not my words failed parenting strategies you know where, for example, they were told that they were special all the time. They were told that they could have anything they want in life, just because they want it. Right? They were told, um, uh, some of them got into um, honors classes not because they deserved it, but because their parents complained. And some of them got A's not because they earned them, but because the teachers didn't want to deal with the parents. Some kids got participation medals. You got a medal for coming in last. Right, which the science we know is pretty clear, which is it devalues the medal and the reward for those who actually work hard, and that actually makes the person who comes in last feel embarrassed because they know they didn't deserve it, so it actually makes them feel worse. right? So you take this group of people, and they graduate school, and they get a job, and they're thrust into an, into the real world, and in an instant they find out they're not special, their mums can't get them a promotion, um, that you get nothing for coming in last, and by the way, you can't just have it because you want it right? And in an instant, their entire self-image is shattered. And so you have an entire generation that's growing up with lower self-esteem than previous generations. The other problem to compound it is we're growing up in a Facebook, Instagram world. In other words, we're good at putting filters on things. We're good at showing people that life is amazing even though I'm depressed, right? And so everybody sounds tough. Everybody sounds like they got it all figured out. And the reality is, there's very little toughness, and most people don't have it figured out. And so, when the more senior people say, Well, what should we do? they sound like, This is what you gotta do. And they have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) So, you have an entire generation growing up with lower self esteem than previous generations, right? Through no fault of their own. Through no fault of their own, right? They were dealt a bad hand, right? Now, let's add in technology. We know that engagement with social media and our cell phones releases a chemical called dopamine. That's why when you get a text, it feels good. Right? So, you know, we've all had it where you're feeling a little bit down or feeling a bit lonely and so you send out ten texts to ten friends, you know, hi, 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 hi. Because it feels good when you get a response. Right? right? It's why we count the likes, it's why we go back 10 times to see if, and if it's going, if my Instagram is growing slower, did I do something wrong, do they not like me anymore, right? The, The trauma for young kids to be unfriended, right? Because we know when you get it, you get a hit of dopamine, which feels good. It's why we like it, it's why we keep going back to it. Dopamine is the exact same chemical that makes us feel good when we smoke, when we drink, and when we gamble. In other words, it's highly, highly addictive. Right? We have age restrictions on smoking, gambling, and uh, alcohol, and we have no age restrictions on social media and cell phones, which is the equivalent of opening up the liquor cabinet and saying to our teenagers, hey, by the way, this adolescence thing, if it gets you down. <laughs> <laughs> but that's basically what's happening. That's basically what's happening, right? That's basically what happened. You have an entire generation that has access to an addictive, numbing, chemical called dopamine through social media and cell phones as they're going through the high stress of adolescence. Why is this important? Almost every alcoholic discovered alcohol when they were teenagers. When we're very, very young, the only approval we need is the approval of our parents. And as we go through adolescence, we make this transition where we now need the approval of our peers. Very frustrating for our parents, very important for us. It allows us to acculturate outside of our immediate families into the broader tribe, right? It's a highly, highly stressful and anxious period of our lives, and we're supposed to learn to rely on our friends. Some people, quite by accident, discover alcohol and numbing effects of dopamine to help them cope with the stresses and anxieties of adolescence. Unfortunately, that becomes hardwired in their brains, and for the rest of their lives, when they suffer significant stress, they will not turn to a person, they will turn to the bottle. Social stress, financial stress, career stress, that's pretty much the primary reasons why an alcoholic drinks, right? What's happening is, because we're allowing unfettered access to these dopamine-producing devices and media, basically it's becoming hardwired, and what we're seeing is as they grow older, they, too many kids don't know how to form deep, meaningful relationships, Their words, not mine. They will admit that many of their friendships are superficial. They will admit that their friends, that they don't count on their friends, they don't rely on their friends, they have fun with their friends, but they also know that their friends will cancel on them if something better comes along. Deep meaningful relationships are not there because they never practice the skill set, and worse, they don't have the coping mechanisms to deal with stress. So when significant stress starts to show up in their lives, they're not turning to a person, they're turning to a device, they're turning to social media, they're turning to these things which offer temporary relief. We know, the science is clear, we know that people who spend more time on Facebook suffer higher rates of depression than people who spend less time on Facebook. Right? These things balance. Alcohol is not bad. Too much alcohol is bad. Gambling is fun. Too much gambling is dangerous. Right? There's nothing wrong with social media and cell phones. It's the imbalance. Right? If you're sitting at dinner with your friends and you're texting somebody who's not there, that's a problem that's an addiction. If you're sitting in a meeting with people you're supposed to be listening to and speaking and you put your phone on the table face up or face down, I don't care. That sends a subconscious message to the room that you're not just you're just not that important to me right now, right? That's what happens. And the fact that you cannot put it away is because you are addicted. Right? If you wake up and you check your phone before you say good morning to your girlfriend, boyfriend or spouse, you have an addiction. And like all addiction, in time, it'll destroy relationships, it'll cost time, and it'll cost money, and it'll make your life worse, right? So you have a generation growing up with lower self-esteem that doesn't have the coping mechanisms to deal with stress, right? Now you add in the sense of impatience, right? They've grown up in a world of instant gratification. You want to buy something? You go on Amazon, it arrives the next day. You want to watch a movie? Log on and watch a movie. You don't check movie times. You want to watch a TV show? Binge. You don't even have to wait week to week to week, right? Right? I know people who skip seasons just so they can binge at the end of the season, right? Instant gratification. You want to go on a date? You don't even have to learn how to be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have to learn and practice that skill. You don't have to be the uncomfortable one who says, says yes when you mean no and says no when you mean no and yes when you... You don't have to swipe right. Bang, I'm a stud. <laughs> right? You don't even have to learn the social coping mechanisms, right? Everything you want, you can have instantaneously. Everything you want, instant gratification. Except job satisfaction and strength of relationships, there ain't no app for that. They are slow, meandering, uncomfortable, messy processes. And so I keep meeting these wonderful, fantastic, idealistic, hardworking, smart kids. They've just graduated school. They're in their entry-level job. I sit down with them and I go, how's it going? They go, I think I'm going to quit. I'm like, why? They're like, I'm not making an impact. I'm like, you've been here eight months. (laughs) It's as if they're standing at the foot of a mountain. And they have this abstract concept called impact that they want to have in the world, which is the summit. What they don't see is the mountain. I don't care if you go up the mountain quickly or slowly, but there's still a mountain. And so what this young generation needs to learn is patience. That some things that really, really matter like love, or job fulfillment, joy, love of life, self-confidence, a skill set, any of these things. All of these things take time. Sometimes you can expedite pieces of it, but the overall journey is arduous and long and difficult. And if you don't ask for help and learn that skill set... You will fall off the mountain, or you will the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario, and we 're already seeing it. the worst case scenario is we're seeing an increase in suicide rates we're seeing an increase in this generation we're seeing an increase in accidental deaths due to drug overdoses we're seeing more and more kids drop out of school or take leaves of absence due to depression, unheard of these are all this is this is really bad. the best case scenario the best those are all bad cases, right. The best case scenario is you'll have an entire population growing up and going through life and just never really finding joy. They'll never really find deep, deep fulfillment in work or in life. They'll just just waft through life and it'll be just it's fine. How, how how's your job? It's fine. You're the same as yesterday. How's your relationship? It's fine. Like that's that's the best case scenario. Which leads me to the the fourth point, which is environment. Which is we're taking this amazing group of young, fantastic kids who are just dealt a bad hand. It's no fault of their own. And we put them in corporate environments that care more about the numbers than they do about the kids. They care more about the short-term gains than the long-term life of this young human being. We care more about the year than the lifetime. Right? And so we are putting them in corporate environments that aren't helping them build their confidence, that aren't helping them learn the skills of cooperation, that aren't helping them overcome the challenges of a digital world and finding more balance, that isn't helping them overcome the need to have instant gratification and teach them the joys and impact and the fulfillment you get from working hard over on something for a long time that cannot be done in a month or even in a year. And so we're thrusting to them, them in corporate environments, and the worst part about it is they think it's them. They blame themselves. They, can, they think it's them who can't deal. And so it makes it all worse. It's not. I'm here to tell them it's not them. It's the corporations. It's the corporate environments. It's the total lack of good leadership in our world today that is making them feel the way they do. They were dealt a bad hand, and, it's, and I hate to say it, but it's the company's responsibility. Sucks to be you. Like, we have no choice, Right? This is what we got, and I wish that society and their parents did a better job. They didn't. So we're, gonna, we're getting them in our companies, and we now have to pick up the slack. We have to work extra hard to figure out the ways that we build their confidence. We have to work extra hard to find ways to teach them social the social skills that they're missing out on. There should be no cell phones in conference rooms. None. Zero. And I don't mean the kind of like sitting outside waiting to text. I mean like when you're sitting and waiting for a meeting to start... Nobody goes, this is what we all do. We all sit here and wait for the meeting to start. Meeting starting? Okay. And we start the meeting. No, that's not how relationships are formed. Remember we talked about it's the little things? Relationships are formed this way. We're waiting for a meeting to start and we go, how's your dad? I heard he was in the hospital. Oh, he's really good. Thanks for asking. He's actually at home now. Oh, I'm really glad. That was really amazing. I know, it was really scary for a while. That's how you form relationships. Hey, did you ever get that report done? Oh my God, no, I didn't. I'll help you out. I totally, can I help you out with that? Really? That's how trust forms. Trust doesn't form in an event, in a day. Even bad times don't form trust immediately. It's the slow, steady consistency. And we have to create mechanisms where we allow for those little innocuous interactions to happen. But when we allow cell phones in conference rooms, we just, okay, had the meeting. And then my favorite is like when there's a cell phone there and you go like this, you go... (laughs) It rings and you go... I'm not going to answer that. Mr. Magnanimous, you know? <laughs> when you're out for dinner with your friends, like, uh, I, I do this with my friends. When we're going out for dinner and we're leaving together, we, we'll leave our cell phones at home. Who are we calling? Maybe one of us will bring a phone in case we need to call an Uber or take a picture of our meal. Uh, <laughs> That's what uh, I saying. Come on. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not... I'm I'm an idealist, but I'm not insane. (laughs) I mean, it looked really good. Um, We'll take one phone. And so it's like an alcoholic. The reason you take the alcohol out of the house is is because we cannot trust our willpower. We're just not strong enough. But when you remove the temptation... It actually makes it a lot easier. And so when you just say, don't check your phone, people literally will go like this. And somebody will go to the bathroom, and what's the first thing we do? Because <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to look around the restaurant for a minute and a half, you know? But if you don't have the phone, you just kind of enjoy the world. And that's where ideas happen. The constant, constant, constant engagement is not where you have innovation and ideas. Ideas happen when our minds wander, and we go, and you see something, and I bet they could do that. That's called innovation. Right, but we're taking away all those little moments. Right, you should not, and none of us, none of us should charge our phones by our beds. We should be charging our phones in the living rooms. Right, remove the temptation. You wake up in the middle of the night because you can't sleep. You won't check your phone, which makes it worse. But if it's in the living room, it's relaxed. It's fine. I, I, uh, but it's my alarm clock. Buy an alarm clock. <laughs> they cost eight dollars.
1: Right? I'll, I'll buy you an alarm. Clock. <laughs> So I wanted you to watch that this morning because um, today we're talking about marriage and friendship. And I know he talked about a lot of different things, but I want you to focus in on the aspect of relationship, friendship that he talked about in this video. Uh, So we're talking about marriage and friendship, and I've been really excited for this message the last couple of months because real friendship has to be at the center of any dating or marriage relationship. Uh, I think healthy marriage hinges on your ability and their ability to connect um, in deep ways, emotional ways. And so I think this is hugely important as we think about this relationship and marriage discussion. So here's my concern. My concern is the same because I see this in myself. Everything he talked about, I see this firsthand, not just in you, but also in me. So I'm speaking from experience as we talk about this. I'm concerned, though, that we don't today... Um, we're not very good at the kind of connection he's talking about um, in this video that you just watched. And I don't think it's just a generational thing. This is where I, he kept saying this generation, younger, I think it's actually multi-generational now. I can't tell you how many times I go to a, a, a waiting room and everyone is on the phone. Like no one brings a book anymore, right? No one reads books. That's, that's like passe, um, no one has conversations with the person next. It's just you're in your own little world. And so this is not just a generational thing. I think it's multi-generational. And the difference, though, I think, is that you've just grown up this way. It's just all you've ever known. Um, older generations, they can remember a time when that wasn't the case. Uh, so before we get going into our discussion, I want you guys to have some discussion at your tables. I want you to do questions one through three at your, dis- at your tables. And this will be in relation to the video that you just watched. Go ahead and discuss questions one to three. All right, let's continue our discussion as we think through some of these ideas. So, listen, I know, I'm fully aware that when we talk about this topic especially in front of this crowd, that we get the eye rolls we get the okay here's here's a here the guy on the video is actually in your generation by the way, so he speaks for all of us, but I know whenever we talk about this kind of a topic there's the the um the eye roll the the dynamic of I would relate it to like generations before that would get mad about like music and stuff, you know like you you crazy kids in your satanic rock and roll right. Like, that's, that's the reaction that you're going you're gonna to get whenever you bring up an old person saying, you know, you and your cell phones and your technology, right? And so this is the reaction that I think just comes up out of us, especially in our youth. And, but I'll reflect back on uh, when I was an intern many years ago at a church in North Texas, and we, we did several ski trips. And I knew that getting on a ski trip bus, we had two big buses going to Colorado, and it was an all-night trip, and I just knew, this is the late 90s, many years ago, so I knew as an intern, getting on that bus was going to be an experience. I knew that it was going to be just insanity for 24 hours, and so we get on the bus, and it's as you would imagine, it's like one big party, the kids are going crazy, people are throwing things, people are acting insane, right, on this bus, and then um, fast forward to my last ski trip uh, here at TBC, and some of you are thinking, wait, you guys did ski trips? Why wasn't I in high school then? <laughs> and so we can't. We lost too much money on those. So, um, But we did ski trips. I did three here at TBC, and the last one that I did, I get, I'm preparing myself mentally for what's about to happen on this, this bus for 24 hours, and I walk onto this full bus, and it's just dead silence. And I just thought, this is... Kind of nice, but also kind of weird. Like, what? Why is everyone so quiet? And I looked down the rows, and every single student had earbuds in their ears. Every single one. And we have to admit that something has changed. All right. Don't just you know put it in the category of like, okay, another old person ranting about technology. This is not. What, we have to admit something has changed in how we relate to people. Even in myself, I realize this. Um, do you ever? get mad when someone calls you on the phone? Do, do you get mad? Like, you want the text message. You don't want someone calling you on the phone, do you? Because what I, what I experience, whenever someone actually calls me, is um, it's almost like we, we're, we're, we're looking for an excuse to not answer, right? Do you guys do that, or is that just me? It's just me. So, so at times that we can have this reaction of like, I don't want to have to talk to anybody, you know? And so if someone calls on the phone, and we treat the phone like a live grenade. We're like, chuck the phone, like die for cover. Because we want nothing to do with the conversation. I, I'll, I'll text you. Um, you text me because I can then choose to ignore you if I want to. But a phone call requires spontaneous, at least spontaneous interaction, right? And so we have to admit, I think, that we have, we have things have changed. We've lost a little bit of something. Things are different. Things have changed. Because these kinds of just conversational moments, this is where personalities form, sense of humor, ability to relate, ability to empathize with people. Um, This is where these kinds of things take place. And um, I think that, um, yes, it can be awkward. It can create, you know, it can be unpredictable. But this is life. This is how you learn how to Um, walk through relationships and build relationships. In fact, I can think to, who was on the New York City mission trip last year? Raise your hand. All right, you guys made me angry last year, and I'll tell you what. So last year, um, we're on the trip, and I can't tell you how many times we're sitting at a dinner or a lunch, and I look around, and every single person, including myself, we're just on the phone. We're just in phone world. And last year, at the beginning of the, that was when the whole Pokemon craze came out. Like, that week, that was the week. Matt Mahler, where are you? And I, I'm i serious. Like, I was about to throw those foons under a subway train. Because I was so just like, guys, like, you're consumed with this thing. And, um, and so, it, it just, and you see it firsthand. I can go down the list here. So, I see this. When I eat out with my wife at restaurants, I will look around the restaurant. Um, you know, we're always looking for, for for ways to judge people, and this is kind of how I do it. So, um, so I'll look around the restaurant and be like, you know, look at that couple. They they they, they haven't talked in the last half hour, you know, and they're just on the phones. Both they're on a date, they're on a date, and they're on the phone almost the entire time. Um, I see it uh, just about every Sunday and Wednesday in this room and also over there, where maybe like half the table's on the phone. Um, If anyone's talking, it's usually about something on your phone, right? And so this is, uh, I think, how we can relate sometimes. I saw it last night. I go to the father-daughter dance with my little six-year-old daughter. It was a great time. And I see like a couple of tables of just men. Their daughters are somewhere else. I don't know where their daughters are at. They're on the dance floor somewhere, but the men are sitting there on their phone, Facebook, the entire time while they're at the father-daughter dance. And that, that, that stuff makes me angry. It's like I want to break that phone and then break the guy's face, right? It's just, seriously, dude, get off your freaking phone. You're at the father-daughter dance, right? And so I cannot understand the reason Just human nature, why we get so caught up. Just think about this. Right now, you are sitting across the table from someone made in the image of God, and we find this more interesting. We find this more engaging. We find this more appealing. And so this will apply to you. Does it apply to you now? It'll apply to you later on when you're... On a date with your wife, with your husband, you'll be tempted to, like, just disengage and just, let's just, let's just disengage in just technology. And remind yourself, this is, you are married to someone who's made in God's image that God has given to you. A person to talk to and engage and have conversations with, and yet so often we disconnect and find this just more appealing, more interesting. So I want you to ask yourself a question. When is the last time you actually asked someone else a question? When's the last time you actually asked someone a real question? Not like, when's that project due? But like a real get to know you, tell me about your life, what are you going through kind of question. And it wasn't a forced small group question. When is the last time you actually looked someone in the eye and said, hey, tell me about your, your situation at home. Like, you were talking about last week at Smart like, what's going on there? Like, when's the last time you actually engaged someone and showed some curiosity in someone else's life? And this is what I think is, is hugely important as we talk about um, marriage and friendship. It's a huge topic, marriage and friendship. And here's why this is such a big deal. Because, um, I, I, like I said, I know you don't, you, you first think, like, it's just people ranting about technology and, you know, it's, it's, it's progress. Like, are you against progress, Dave, and that kind of stuff? Well, let me, let me just tell you something. Um, I've been doing some reading about this. because I've been convicted in my own life of how it affects me. This has all come out of personal experience and personal conviction and, and personal repentance. So I read a book over the course of the last couple of months. I don't recommend that you read it. It was highly boring. But this is the book I read over the last couple of months. It's called The Shallows by this nerdy guy named Nicholas Carr. And it's called What the Internet's Doing to Our Brains. Now, he's not a Christian. The guy you saw earlier is not a Christian to my knowledge. These are not just Christians trying to rail on the culture. These are people that are in the culture. They're living it. They're breathing it. And even a guy like this is saying there's a science now behind this disconnection that's happening with people in our culture. He talks about how technology makes us feel powerful and in control. He also talks about how it's changing us, not just how it's changing our brains, but also our ability to relate to people and empathize and be curious about people's lives. And so he talks about this throughout this uh, this book. And so he really raises a great question. Is it possible that smartphones are making us relationally dumb. <clears throat> is it possible that we are losing the ability to have meaningful deep relationships because most of the time we're just completely plugged into something else and engaged by something else? He raises the question, is it possible technology is making us feel connected without giving us real connection? And so he raises these these points and these issues. And so again, today's about marriage and friendship, but before we get going, I want to remind you, um, we changed our, if you guys do have any um, questions you want to text in for our Q&A discussion that we're going to have at the end here of the whole series, um, we changed the place you do that. So you can actually email or text this address up here, tbcpoll at gmail.com, and uh, you can send it straight there from your cell phone, and uh, we'll get those questions lined up. Um, for mid-March. But I want to review quickly the last couple of weeks. So we did purpose of marriage the last couple of weeks, and I talked to you guys about how the purpose of marriage is to make God known. The purpose of marriage is to make him known. Ms. Slavin talked about the purpose of marriage being to make you holy and to sanctify you. And I heard her message, and it was, it was awesome. It was amazing. I'm so glad that she did that talk. And so we've said some really hard things over the last two weeks. And some of you might be thinking, man, marriage sounds kind of painful. Marriage sounds like really tough. I'm not sure I want to be a part of it anymore. Might be rethinking it. And that's why I want to talk today about friendship. Because a dating relationship and a marriage relationship should also be about friendship. When Kim spoke last week, she made it sound, it's really tough, going to be really hard, and it, it is to sanctify you and to shape you and to mold you. And so I'm just adopting a softer term for what she said last week, and it's just friendship. Because that's what friendship's supposed to do anyway, isn't it? Sanctify you and change you and mold you. All friends should be doing that, but especially the one that you end up being married to one day. And so, as hard as marriage can be, you can and should be good friends with this person. This should be an enjoyable, bring joy, good friends with this person. So, while this series has been about relationships, today's message can really apply to any kind of friendship that you might want to apply it to. Now, I think most people, um, especially your age, you see romantic relationships this way. You see the foundation being romance. With a little bit of friendship sprinkled on top, right? That's how we tend to view it. The core of a marriage is like romance, and like, yeah, there's some friendship, but it's not like core to the marriage. I would reverse this. I would say it's the opposite. Friendship should be the foundation, and romance is a part of it, of course, but friendship has to be the foundation of any romantic relationship. It has to be friendship. In fact, in Song of Solomon 5.16, which this is the only verse we're going to read out of the entire book of Song of Solomon, okay? Just so you know. Read on your own if you want, but didn't hear it from me. Verse 516. This is my lover. This is my friend. You can and should be both. You can and should be both in a, in a dating or marriage relationship. In fact, I will tell you that when I met my wife, Courtney, who's here today, uh, we became fast friends. In fact, it was really cool. Like I had Dated before other people, but it was like, I could tell other people I was, the attraction was there, but I was like, I, I'm not sure about this girl, like, personality-wise, and we just don't really, we're kind of not really clicking personalities. I would, I would try to make it happen because I, I liked, um, I was attracted, but I was just, like, not really clicking personality-wise. With Courtney, it was, like, instantaneous friendship. It really kind of freaked me out. I was like, whoa, this is, this is weird. Like, she's really easy to talk to. And our first time we ever hung out was... You know, I told you guys a story before, but I was at a little cafe and we start talking and, I, and she's like, yeah, I'm looking for a church. I'm like, well, how about you come to my church? Give me your number, you know? And so I got her number and I called, hey, come to my college group. She came with me that night. And from the moment we get in the car, it's just like instant conversation. We're talking. And after that night, we actually went for this long walk through the campus of the school I went to and we just talked for like several hours. And it was just really cool how I met this person, yeah, I'm attracted, but there's also this instant friendship that developed, and that friendship is alive and well to this day. And any married person in this room will tell you that friendship has to be the core of any kind of marriage relationship. It has to be the core. It can't be just a side thing. It has to be the center of any kind of marriage relationship. And so, I think the problem is that I think many of us misunderstand friendship altogether, because most of us, we see friendship as a hobby buddy or a, we just kind of hang out sometimes. You don't you don't have a real biblical vision of what friendship should look like. So today we're going to look at what does friendship truly, what's it supposed to look like biblically? So this is called, this part's called the character of friendship. We're going to be in Proverbs for a bit, but I want to first give you a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this. He says, friendship arises when two or more discover that they have in common some insight or interest. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Friendship must be about something. Those who have nothing can share nothing, those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. This is why you'll recognize that in most of your friendships, there's usually like a common passion or when you first met this person, like you just clicked, maybe similar sense of humor, similar way of seeing the world. Um, maybe you have a similar common passion or interest. Um, you both are living on mission and you found yourself just caught up in the same mission and so you, you both just developed a fast friendship over that. Um, so think about your current friends. How did you become friends with them? Usually it just happens naturally, right? You, you can't force friendship. This is how it happens with regular friends. It also, it's also how it happens with a romantic relationship or friendship. Um it's it's when you say to the person, when you say about about someone, you know, this person, they just kind of get me. They just understand me. We just we click, right? And so this is how friendship is formed. So here's what we learn with this quote. Real friendships are discovered, not forced. But this kind of friendship can only develop if you're both going somewhere. We talked in week one about how, um, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we used that verse to say this. We said, this is why when you are Living on mission, you run as fast as you can towards his will, towards his kingdom purposes, and before long, you'll recognize that someone is running right along next to you, and they're attractive. You find yourself drawn to them. And so if your life is going nowhere, if you're just waiting around for friendship, you're waiting around for relationship, you're never going to find the right kind of relationship or friendship. Your life needs to be going in a certain direction, and you'll find fellow travelers, and this is how friendships and relationships should be formed. You can't force them. They have to be discovered more naturally, and so um, if your relationship, listen, if your relationship is just all about the relationship, it's going to implode. It's going to fall apart. It has to be about something more than just the relationship itself. So my wife and I, I, feel, I do feel this mission. Yeah, our, our kids are, in a sense, our mission. But I feel this passion and vision in our marriage to be on mission together for the kingdom of Christ. And this is what helps fuel the friendship. So we're going to spend a lot of time in Proverbs today. So look, look down at, um, if you want to flip there, you have to turn pretty quickly. But Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, be our first verse that we look at. It says, uh, 13 verse 20, it says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We learn here in this passage that friendships shape us for good or bad. You know, one of the, the things people say all the time in, in our, I think, our world today, they say things like, you know, I'm my own person, I'm independent, I'm, I'm my own person. You're not. You're not your own person. You are a... Um, You are a collection of influences. So as you have friends and and, and, and friendships and relationships, these people influence you for good or bad. You are not your own person. No matter what you like to think about yourself, you are not your own person. You're a collection of the people that you surround your life with. And so you become who your friends are. You know, I often wonder, it's kind of scary to think, I often wonder where would I be today if I had stayed with certain friends. And it wasn't like, you know, out of my own nobility and morality, I said, you know, know, I'm not going to be with that guy. It was more like just, it was more like a, um, the guy just left my school and he just went on with his life. But I had three friends in elementary school that it frightens me to know where I'd be if I'd stayed with those friends. Second grade, this kid named David, second grade, told me about sex in second grade. Right? When I was in fourth grade, a kid named Wes had me over to his house and showed me pornography through his cable TV. Fourth grade, pornography. When I was in fifth and sixth grade, my best friend, this kid named Daniel, um, we did a lot of bad things together, and he ends up in jail many years later. And I wonder, like, where would I, my life, where where would have gone if I'd stayed with that group of friends throughout junior high and high school? And so those guys all left my school eventually, godly guys. I had some godly friends through junior high and high school. But it's scary to think about. What if those guys had been my best friends all the way through? What would my life look like? I don't think I would have stood up. I wouldn't have made it. And so I've heard it said that, you know, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And it's true. As I look around, um, students have had in the past that have graduated, I look at their friends and go, man, that, that kid, I know what's going to happen when he graduates. When she graduates, and what's going to happen. You show me your friends, and I will show you your future. In fact, um, I'm not sure what day it was. Uh, I think it was Thursday or Friday. But in preparation for this talk, I was just, you know, um, I'm guilty. I went to Facebook to binge for a little bit, you know, didn't come back to what I was working on. And I know you guys don't use Facebook, so don't judge me anymore, but um, the other day, I think it was Thursday or Friday, Facebook declared Thursday or Friday, Friend Day, okay, which was news to me. So I've heard of other things, like we have, of course, Mother's Day and Father's Day, and but now we have things like Sibling Day and Grandparents Day, and now Facebook declared Friend Day, and I'm like, come on, man, we're just making stuff up now, right? We're just inventing things, right? And But then at the end of this little video they played on this friend day thing, at the, the last tagline said this, your friends make you you. And I thought, ah, Proverbs. Proverbs just said that. Your friends make you you. They do. Like, they, they influence you. They make you. They shape you. And so if this is true of friendship, how much more true is it of a dating relationship? And here's why I want to speak to the girls for a minute because... As Gary talked this morning about, one of your purposes as a woman is to be a nurturer, right? Yeah, what happens in dating is you try to play rescuer, and you try to play Messiah, and you go after a dude you shouldn't be with because you want to fix him, and you try to be Jesus to him, right? Right? And you do it in the name of your faith. You do it in the name of Christianity, which is noble motivation, but almost always leads to disaster because the only person that can be Jesus to someone is Jesus. You can't play rescuer. You, you can't allow the God-given purpose in your life of nurturer be thwarted and be, um, and be twisted into something else where you're trying to play rescuer of some dude who's not a believer You call yourself a believer. You you know, you can't can't play that game in the dating romantic relationship deal. And so um, I want you to look at next at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20. Look at verses, uh, chapter 18, verse 24. It says this It says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I think we see here that real friendships must be few now don't get me wrong I'm not condoning clicks or leaving people out I'm not condoning that but I, I really think that that real friendships must be few if you look at even Jesus Jesus had the 12 but in the 12 he had the three he had Peter James and John they were that was like his inner circle now that was was that a click was he leaving other guys out? I don't think I would accuse Jesus of that. I think he's just it's it's a reality that, that real friendships must be few. Because you can't you can't manage all these other things. You can't manage all these if if you get so wrapped up in trying to have 50 great friendships, you get pulled in different directions, you can't make sense of it, and eventually your life comes to ruin trying to please that many people and keep up with that many people. So I think um this also relates, I think, to, uh, to a dating relationship because I think you've got to have, you can't have a, um, this desire to please so many people throughout your life. You can't do it. You can't maintain it. And so your friendships become a mile wide but an inch deep as a result. Look at chapter 19, verse 4. Flip over like one page, I guess. It says, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend." We see here that real friendships are based are not based on external things. So imagine for a minute if you won the lottery. You would suddenly have lots of new friends, right? If you won the lottery, I would guess. So many friendships, I think, are forged on external things. So at your age, it might not be wealth, but maybe other things like popularity and beauty and athletic ability and sense of humor. So... So friend, real friendships cannot be based on external things. Um, have you ever pursued a friendship for what it could do for you? Have you ever pursued someone as a friend based on what it could do for you and your status? Right? Something to think about. Look at chapter 25, verse 17. 25, verse 17, it says this. It says, "Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you, and hate you." Now, this is takes some explaining, okay? Because I know it seems to go against, like we talk about community and sharing life, and this verse seems to fly in the face of that, doesn't it? But, um, but you know, I thought about this when I read this this verse. Um, you know, a lot of people have like a welcome mat in their at their front door, and they may have a verse that says, like you know, from Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? Um, I would love a welcome mat that has this verse on. Wouldn't that that be awesome? And it would say, like, not welcome, like, on the mat. That would be, can someone design that and make, that would be an incredible welcome mat, I think. Um, But here's the reality. Real friends, real friends are not overbearing. We all know people like this, don't we? Um, Real friends are not people that just butt into your life all the time and just constantly, constantly, constantly one time. you got to give them room to breathe. Like, real friends are not overbearing people. And I know if you're thinking that, well, I don't know anybody like that, well, it might be you. Like, you might be the one that we're talking about. I don't know, just a thought. But I'm talking about, listen, this relates maybe more to the same gender friendships, but... This person might, you know, text all the time, just constantly have to be like he was saying, you know, hi, 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 hi. You know, what are you doing right now? Five minutes later, how about right now? Right? It's just constant interaction, constant engagement. And I think it might be more common now that we can all stay connected, right, through technology. This person might say things like, you know what today is? Today's our friend anniversary, right? Let's celebrate Let's go to dinner and wear matching shirts, right? Like that. And you're like, uh what friendship? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, right? So this is, the, this is an overbearing person. So listen, you cannot be overbearing in friendship. And this applies to a dating relationship. You can't be the overbearing person who's just constant, constant, constant. You can't be that person. Look at chapter 26. Verses 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. This is starting out good. I love this verse. Is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. All right? Real friends have to be empathetic. Real friends have to be. By empathy, I mean the ability to understand the feelings of another person. This is empathy. So look at the image in this verse. Imagine someone picking up a bow and arrow and pulling it back and releasing it, and it goes right through your chest, right? And as you grab your chest and you scream out in pain, they say to you, hey, I was only joking. And, and you're, you're saying to them, "Look, but, but you shot an arrow, like, into my chest. That's not a joke. That's attempted murder. Do you understand the difference? But how often do you and I do this with like sarcasm and with words, don't we? Right? Like you injure someone and you're like, oh, I was just kidding, man. And like they're in tears in a heap in the corner, right? I mean, geez, like understand empathy and like the feelings of someone else. This is required for any kind of friendship or relationship. If someone, here's the reality if, if someone gets hurt, it's not a joke. Can we just agree to that? If somebody gets hurt, it's not a joke. You may have said it was a joke, but it ain't a joke if somebody is injured by, by your words. So for the guys, you cannot treat your girlfriend like your guy friends. Girls, amen, right? You know, you, you, can't, you can't say, well, I said that to him and he didn't cry. Like, you can't say that to your, your girlfriend or your wife. You got to have empathy. Like, she's different than you. I heard a, a speaker say this one. A speaker said this one time. He said, guys are kind of like a metal thermos. Girls are kind of like a crystal goblet, okay? And so, um, metal thermos, you can kind of kick it around, maybe boot it around. It's like, it's going to be okay for the most part, but most of you, when you get married one day, you're, you can't treat your wife like she's a metal thermos. You can't, you can't treat her like that. You can't treat her like that. And so she's not, she's not the same as your guy friends. And so as you guys develop friendship, listen, here's where friendship comes into play. As you guys develop friendship with the opposite sex, you need to learn empathy. Understanding the feelings of another person and being able to empathize with them. Next verse, 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So real friends tell you the truth. So in one sense, real friends don't wound you, but in another sense, they do, and they should. So a real friend is someone who tells you the truth, they're not afraid to, out of love, wound you for your own good at times. Um, they're not afraid to cut you in order to heal you and bring restoration. On the flip side of that, someone who is constantly kissing up to you and and always just singing your praises and never says anything negative or anything confrontational, this person is really an enemy. Even though they, they seem like they're a friend, they're truly an enemy to you because they don't really care about your growth. They don't really care about your walk with God. All they care about is just being your friend and making you feel good about yourself. So you'll make them feel good about themselves. And this is kind of how we go in these kinds of friendships. And so as you look for that guy or that girl, are you willing to tell someone the truth in love and necessarily wound someone so that they can be healed, as Ms. been said last week, for their own sanctification? and their own spiritual growth. So I want to summarize like all that you've heard today with these two concepts, and here they are. Here's the pattern of friendship. You ready? It's transparency and it's constancy. It's those two things. It is transparency. It is being willing to be open, sharing yourself, confessing sin to each other. It is being that for that person, you being that for them. So it is transparency. It is also constancy, meaning... You're faithful, you're loyal, you're consistent. The idea that you're not going anywhere. Do your friends truly feel these two things from you? Transparency, I feel like they share their life with me and I can share my life with them. And I feel like we have this constancy where I'm not going anywhere and they're not going anywhere. And this summarizes the pattern of our friendship. This is why we have things like Wednesday nights community groups and and G groups because we want you to understand this needs to begin happening now in your life, even in high school. In fact, if you look back at the life of Christ, Jesus um, calls us to be his disciples. I think one of the main ways that happens is by your groups, in your relationships, how are you being sharpened to be more like Christ and um, into the image of the Son. And so I want you to look at one last passage real quick, John 15, 13. Where do we see the example to to be this kind of friend that we talk about today? John 15, 13, where Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You and I are only going to find the resources to be this kind of friend to your friends now, but also to a friend later on that you're married to. You only find it in the gospel. You only find it in the pattern of Christ Himself. Jesus Christ sets us free to be the kind of friend that He was to us. We've got to finish up. So go ahead and finish your last two, last several questions at your tables.